to this week's Let's Talk Aging. We're really excited to be starting up our second season of the series. And to start us off strong, today I'm speaking with business owner Doula by Destiny and the grand prize winner of the 2019 Boom Conference Pitch Competition, Valoria Walker. <laughs> Valoria, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank um, you, Molly. I really appreciate you asking me to come on. Let's talk aging. So I'm really proud to be here, really. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Um, well, to get us started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started working in the field of aging? Uh, most of my career really was in the information technology um, arena. I started in information technology when we were talking about mainframes at IBM you know, back in the 1990s. And um, my last 17 years was in information technology um, in the healthcare environment. So I've always been, I was a candy striper volunteer when I was very young. So I've always been in a hospital um, type of facility uh, where people were either physically challenged or either mentally challenged. Um, more about myself. I love to dance and I love to travel. So that, that's pretty much me, you know, overall. I got into the aging um, um, arena or industry really by the influence of my mom, you know, not really as a career, but my mom has really influenced my life. She, her mother was the only child and the only child had 18 children. So she made up, <laughs> she made up for being the only child, okay? And out of the 18, nine lived, and my mom was the oldest of the sibling. And eventually, um, when she was very young, one brother passed away, so she was the oldest of eight children. And so basically all of her siblings came through her household. You know, she, she was the big mama's house. I mean, you know, she, she, you know, that's where we had dinners. So often my weekends were spent with older adults dancing and, and laughing and, and pretty much we had a reunion every weekend, you know, so. What is your career now in aging? You're, you're a business owner, you're a recent graduate of the Erickson School? Correct. Correct. So I graduated with my master's after my son challenged me to go back to school. And then right now I'm currently the, the founder of Aging Adult Services, LLC, doing business as doula by destiny. So um, I'm acting as an end-of-life doula for families and, and promoting the awareness of the end-of-life doula movement. Wow. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, and what is an end-of-life doula? <laughs> well, that's a big question. <laughs> so first of all, first of all, I want to say a doula, even before we jump into an end of life doula, a doula has been identified as a woman. Um, when you look at the ancient Greece era, uh, women supporting other women during the time that they were laboring and giving birth to their child. So a doula was there to help bring forth and nurture that relationship. Um, in support of the, uh, the mother who was having the baby. So an end-of-life doula, we're on the opposite end. We are at the end where 
where people are dying or they may have a terminal illness. Um, it's not always aging adults, you know, because death can come at any time. So um, some of us act as birthing doulas and end-of-life doulas, and some of us are end-of-life doulas across the span of life. My specialty is the end-of-life doula with aging adults or older adults. So, And it's basically the same thing as the birthing doula, but we run parallel as far as being you know, at the end of life and supporting people and their family members who are you know, near or at the end of life. Mm, that's amazing. Um, yeah. So I think traditionally we know that as hospice care. Um, right. So is end of life, an end-of-life doula, is it different? Is it the same thing as hospice care or is it kind of um, expanded upon the field? Well, it, it really depends on um, where you're getting your information from. You know, you have hospice um, administrators or um, organizations who feel that end-of-life doulas complement their services. Mm -hmm. And then you have have some that feel like there's some competition there um but when i when i think of it i think it's a little bit of everything the same different and and expanded services and when i say same i really mean that we are there to provide comfort you know to the to the client or the patient who is um passing away um we want that client to be pain-free and we want them to be comfortable. Uh, we also want to honor the patient's final wishes, you know, the things that they want. Um, if, if they are on a specific diet, can, how can we advocate for giving them their final, you know, um, dinner or something that they prefer having? Um, and then we also complement the care team and we support the care team. So in that way, we're the same. Uh, when we're talking about difference, um, end-of-life doulas, we, we are not on a time restriction. You know, we don't have to worry about um, changing shifts or documentation or um, turning over information to a shift, you know, to another shift. Uh, we are not task-oriented. So, um, you know, a hospice RN or a hospice aide can come in and, and ask the, the client or the person, you know, do you need any medication? How is your pain? Um, and then they're pretty much out documenting and going to the next, you know, patient um, to watch that patient or make sure that patient is being fed. But as a hired end-of-life doula, once we are hired based on, you know, our package, we can sit for me, I do four hour increments. So I can sit, you know, in the room with the patient, whether they are responding to me, whether they're quiet or they just have me sitting there and I have no pressure on me to document anything, you know, or to leave them for any reason, or I don't really have to update anyone, you know, um, about, any type of um, circumstances that are going on, not unless I think it's in the best interest, you know, where I need to bring in the hospice aid or bring in the RN. But basically, I'm there in the presence for that person um, in their sacred space and just sitting with them and allowing them to obtain peace, you know, as they're approaching the end of life. So, 
example, uh, a RN nurse doesn't have that time. And it's not because I'm sure they don't want to, but it's their job to really deal with comfort care and dealing with physical pain management. Where end of life doula, we're there, we're dealing with the physical, we're dealing with the emotional, we're dealing with the mental, we're dealing with the psychological. And we don't provide, um, you know, we're not there as a, a medical physician or medical capacity. We're totally non, you know, non-medical in, in as far as administering medications. I mean, on this, under some circumstances we can, but you know, that's when we develop a relationship with the family member and the patient and they feel comfortable with us administering certain medications. But we're definitely not there from a medical capacity. We, we and that way we definitely are not um, comp, um, competing against, you know, a hospice RN or a hospice A because that's their training and that's their specialty and that's their role and we have no desire to, um, you know, compete in that fashion. So that's how we're different when it comes to expanding. Um, our expansion for me, um, I think more about non-traditional you know, things. Um, when the hospice tray comes in, you know, it's okay, we need you to eat at a certain time. We need to wash you at a certain time. You know, with the end of life doula, we're pretty much just relaxed. You know, I, um, I advocated for a lady last year and I said, it was I think in July, and I said, would you like to go outside? And she's like looking at me saying, go outside. I said, sure. I said, it is so gorgeous. Would you like to go outside? And she said, sure. So I went to the hospice RN and I said, well, what, what can we do to take her outside? And she's like, well, her bed can actually be moved outside. Mm -hmm. So I went in and I, you know, mess with the racks. And she said, you can get it started and I'll just come in. And I said, okay, so we start moving her bed through her French doors. <laughs> we got her outside and about 10 minutes later, she says, it's too hot out here. I want to go back. <laughs> so we did, we moved her back inside and she passed away the next day. Oh, but she got to be outside. So she got to be outside. Wow. So we, so, you know, we try to incorporate things that are different. I, I tell my son, I love the beach. I'm looking at water right now and it's like, oh, take me to Myrtle Beach and just, you know, let me pass away there. So, you know, we, we don't do the traditional things, you know, we don't push the fact that someone has to be buried six feet under because that's not state law you know, by Maryland. Um, we um, do visual plans where, what is it that you want? I mean, you know, do, do you want to go outside? Uh, do you want certain music to be played? Uh, do you want candles to be going on? And, and so we try to, just like when people go into a nursing home or an assistant living, we try to make that environment as home-like as possible. Right. And so while we're in the care of hospice or if we're at home, we feel privileged to be in that sacred place and we feel honored to be in that sac sacred place. So we try to provide a quality of life at the end of life. Oh. And we, we try to bring all that together. Wow. <laughs> 
there's something to um, so there's quality of care, but then the quality of life. I think that's a it's an amazing point to make. And right. It, it really sounds like you can just be with someone in this time um, rather than well while you're still working and and it is you know your career, but the the fact that you're able to just be with somebody, um, I think speaks to a need in healthcare in general because there's a there's a lot of um things kind of separating us emotionally from the people that we work with but um i I love this option because sometimes people just need another person to be there exactly um so it, it that's amazing um and you were kind of talking about uh question uh formulating a plan with somebody as, as you're working with them to see what they would want, mm -hmm. um, whether it is to go outside, whether it is just to be inside, or um, how do you find that that conversation uh, happens? Is it, are they prepared for that conversation when they meet with you? Um, do families already know what their loved ones want? Um, what do you typically find? Well, um, it really depends on where they are in, in their, I guess I would say their dying journey. You know, um, I can say that with the loss of my mom and I can give you her story, um, we thought we was pretty much prepared. Um, we lost her May of 2011 to a hospice facility in Atlanta, Georgia. And my mom was 4'11". She weighed about 100 pounds. Um, she decided that she didn't want dialysis anymore while she was in the hospital. So we had hospice. They, you know, the doctor said, well, I'm going to recommend hospice. So you're going to go with what the doctor recommend, not even thinking, well, maybe I should be getting a second opinion of another hospice facility. I mean, this is what the hospital is, is referring to me, so this is what I'm gonna go with. Mm -hmm. Then you're dealing with all these medical crises, end of life, last minute decisions. So you are pretty much bombarded with information. So anything that anybody gives you, pretty much that's what you're gonna go with. Mm -hmm. And um, the hospice representative came into the hospital and was talking to us and it was like Charlie Brown teacher. Wong, 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 wong. She was saying something, but it, it was going through like this and we wasn't really interpreting it. So eventually we moved my mom there within 20, hours but within 24 hours of her being there she was administered two powerful medications twice and so she went eventually drifted off to sleep I left my sister there because my sister was her primary caregiver and I went back to my mom's home when I came in the next day my sister told me that they had administered two more doses of a medication of medication while my mom was asleep so the question is why did you minister another dose of medication when she was already asleep and so two or three days later passed after that and my mom never woke up she passed away in her sleep you know while my brother was on the way to to get there so we never really had the closure that we was expecting so again although we thought we was prepared 
you know, for this, so many different things come up at the end of life that people are just not prepared for. They, they prepare for the funeral arrangements, you know, who's going to take the body, but they really don't prepare themselves for the care, you know, that may be needed at the end of life. And so, you know, that's what kind of got me started on this. So from the most part, most families are not, you know, prepared. Um, when I talk about planning and the, and the planning that I was talking about as far as candles, that was visual planning. But if we start, the preferred time is when there are no medical crises, you know, when there's no um, adverse diagnosis, where we're healthy and we can talk about advanced care planning. And in that, we're talking about if I become mentally incapable of making medical decisions, who's going to make those decisions for me? And that's naming the healthcare proxy. And then we have a second part to that advanced care planning, which is the living will. And that's where I am giving my preferences as far as life-sustaining treatment. So do I want to be resuscitated? Um, do I want to be hydrated with tools? You know, with, um, I'm sorry, with, um, you know, pecs or lines, you know, um, do I want to continually be fed? You know, so those are the things that deal with advanced care plan. And if we can get society to um, lower their anxiety on talking about death and get those, that advanced care planning in place, um, we would know what to do, you know, at the end of life. But because we don't have that conversation, everyone is scrambling at the end when there's a medical crisis. And then the doctor is looking for the family to make a decision. And let's say in my case, there was, you know, me, my brother, my sister. If my brother says, well, I want mom to continue to be fed, you know, um, intravenously. And I'm saying, no, I don't want her. So who, the doctor's not going to go with the oldest child or the youngest child. You know, now we are leaving the control of the decision-making in the hands of the doctor. Right. And so advanced care planning is, is the preferred way to start having people talk about planning for the end of life. Mm. And so, and I also think that, that, um, you know, we're paying for the cost of living longer. Um, you know, unfortunately, because how is our, well, two questions is how is our quality of life at the end of life when we're a hundred, you know, most people say, <laughs> when you say, how long do you want to live? Most people say they kind of cut it off at 100. <laughs> you know, no one is saying I want to live to 200 or 150, you know, so, and I don't know why, but, <laughs> you know. So is our quality of life good when we're, you know, are at the age of 100 years old? We know common sense is going to uh, let us know that we can't do the things that we do at 65 and 70, you know, if we're healthy without any type of um, illnesses or anything. And then, you know, we put out our children into the sandwich you know, taking by living longer, by taking care of us and taking care of their children, you know, at the same time. And we often have to think about our autonomy, you know, when we get a certain age, will we be able to make um, decisions in our best interest, 
you know, if I want to stay in my home and die, but I have um, the tendency to fall, you know, what, what is my caregiver going to do? Are they going to make a decision to, to be there with me, to move me into their home or to move me into, you know, some type of, um, you know, institution, institutional, you know, to keep me safe. And so, you know, living longer has pros and cons, you know, about everything. Yeah, it does. And I wonder, so I, I think you make a, a really great point that a lot of people are, t are taking care of their families, but it's, there is a responsibility of the person in need of care to have these decisions, um, maybe not already made, but have a general idea of what they want so that the family member who's taking care of them doesn't have to make those decisions for them. Exactly. But I, it does go both ways. And I guess because there is no care plan generally, a lot of people aren't making these, these care plans. Do you find that family members are open to having the conversation once it's time or is there still kind of um, this uneasiness around the conversation even even when they're in the midst of it there's still some uneasiness we, yeah. we just don't you know even when we are forced into making that medical decision a lot of times we still just go under the guidance of um the doctor you know and then that also pulls in all these dynamic family dynamics that don't necessarily have to be involved, you know, because like I said, now you have brother B that wants mom to continue to live and you have sister A who's saying no. So now you could created another crisis right in the midst of the crisis for the person who is passing away, which interrupts the peace that they could be having, which is why end of life doula is there to try to calm some of that chaos down you know that could have been avoided if we would have taken the carriage to have the conversation in the beginning yeah mm -hmm. right and how as as a um, end of life doula how do you walk with somebody through this conversation um are are you able to um to because I, I, I imagine you can't make decisions for them but right. How do you ease them into this type of outcome? Well, I can, well, let's start with my own personal experience. Um, I started immediately talking to my son about my wishes upon my mom's death. And that's, you know, 2020, I would say that was probably about six years ago. So he was probably around 23. So he, he's not really interested in hearing his mom's plans on, you know, and as I continue to pursue um, my business as an end of life doula, he said, you know, mom, you're really not going to give this idea up. And I'm like, it's not an idea. It's something that's going to happen. I'm just trying to prepare you for it. Like I prepare you for pretty much everything else. And so eventually we were sitting at the table one day and he said, mom, he said, you know, he said, I don't want to be buried. He said, I want to be cremated. Oh. And he had that. And my thing, Molly was, I would have buried him. Right. You know, and so in a way I would have dishonest, dishonored him mm -hmm. based on us not having the conversation, 
you know so a lot of times we are also dishonoring people because we don't want to have the conversation and another example i was sitting with the lady 94 and i walked in her room one day and she said val she said this is what i want at my funeral and i'm like okay i wasn't expecting this today but we're here so let's do it and she's i said well did you have this conversation with your son and she said no he knows who the funeral home is he knows who's supposed to pick up my body but i haven't had this conversation and so she went into every detail of what she wanted mm. i later called the son and i said well your mom talked to me about what she wanted to wear and she wanted for her funeral arrangements and i said do you want to meet in person do you want me to have the conversation over the phone now do you want me to call you later do you want me to email you he said no let's let's have the conversation now and i told him everything and he said wow val he said that was absolutely not what i was going to bury her in he wow. said she she was a usher for our church for 40 years and i just knew she would want her usher uniform that was not what mom wanted she wow. did not want that at all and so it was hard having a conversation even over the phone but he was relieved that now he knew Mm -hmm. you know exactly what mom wanted and i actually went to the funeral and mom was honored according to what she told me you know so it made me feel good that she used me as the mediator right. you know she didn't feel her son visit her every day pretty much like i was visiting once a week she could have had the son the conversation with the son but sometimes that family relationship is so close right. and the heart is so close to where you know, we're not willing to digest that conversation. And it took over seven to eight years for me to get my son to tell me what he wanted. So it's not a, it's not a conversation where you're just going to bring it up over Thanksgiving and, you know, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's not it, you know, and that's pretty much it. It's an ongoing conversation and you just have to sit down and kind of, I would say spoon feed it maybe in a gentle and sensitive way and just, kind of let people swallow it and you know not every time that you see them you have to bring it up but they need to know that when they do see you you know you're going to be gently pushing them to be able to prepare a plan that's going to help them at the end of life yeah. and so yeah i love that I, because it too once you feel comfortable and you know, like you're in a safe space and you can have this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think there is a sense of relief that, comes right. it, that it's not as scary as we're, we're making it out to be. Right. Oh, well, I'm still living right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm still breathing. These decisions are just going to allow me to continue to make decisions for myself even when I'm not able to. Right. Yeah. And I've even had people say, Val, you take the way that you talk about it, you take the scariness, you know, you take the scariness out of it. And, you know, I often tell, ask people, well, when you are having a baby, do you go out and get the crib the same day? You know, <laughs> when you are planning your wedding, do you go and get your wedding dress the same, the morning of your wedding? No, you do not. So let's just deal with this, talk about it 
get the paper out of the way, put it up where everybody knows it, and then you know that it's taken care of, which takes some of the burden off of the family member and some of the pressure off of you avoiding this topic every time it comes to your mind. Well, if this happened or this happened, because it comes in our subconscious, you know, so let's just deal with it, get it taken care of, and then we can go on living is what I say. Wow. I love those analogies. <laughs> I love them. That's so true. We plan for everything, yeah. and yet we do such a major life event, and we we don't. We shy away from it. So oh, exactly. That's I'm going to quote you on that one. Sure. <laughs> so, um, so earlier we were talking about the the difference in hospice care and the end of life doula and and kind of the professional aspect of it um how do you find that the professional world um embraces this conversation and and the work of that end of life doula well well it really depends on pretty much like everything else our own experiences you know the access that we have the income that we have i mean i see even a difference with men knowing about doula you know because again it's that birthing doula surrounds the fact of you know women being um with birth and so of course women know more about the birthing doula and then when you talk about the end of life doula they it clicks in their mind that okay now i understand where you know talking with most men it's like i have no clue about what you're talking about so you know it, it depends on the professional level also i just was talking to um my personal doctor about it and he was very interested you know and he always whenever i talk to someone about it, the end of life doula we say we don't want to talk about it but every time i talk with someone they always share <laughs> <laughs> yeah. something that, that has happened in their life i was on a timeshare presentation you know the earlier part of this year and the lady said well what do you do i said i'm an end of life doula she stopped the presentation we was walking around we was walking around in this gorgeous timeshare she's like oh i lost my father and we stayed on that for about 15 minutes and then we was able to continue with the yes. timeshare presentation so some people get it and then you know some people they just don't have an idea about it. And like I say, with hospice, you have some people that are open to the profession, you know, of the end of life doula. And then you have some that feels it's, uh, um, we're coming in to compete and, to, and take away, you know, from that. But we're definitely not there to, um, to um, you know, take away or any rub, any type of care plan that hospice has already facilitated for the patient. Right. And so, you know, it, it depends. It, it could be men, women, race, religion, you know, has, has things to do with um, end of life care. You know, a lot of people are um, so in, in connected to religion that they're waiting for that last minute miracle, you know, and that gets in the way sometime of making, I'm going to say common sense decisions because you can make those common sense decisions but you still can wait on the miracle or have faith in the miracle and don't feel like you're cheating on your belief just because you are coming up with an end of life plan plan so 
you know, it's a lot of things that are going on with professionals and with families that it can vary. Some people get it, some people don't, some people accept it. Some people are like, no, I'll pass this time. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's interesting. And I think, I don't know. I think you're right. Earlier you had said that as a society, we kind of need to feel a little bit more comfortable and kind of catch up to this conversation. And I agree with you. And I think maybe not end of life doula is the right path for everyone, Mm -hmm. but having some sort of understanding of, of support in this time, um, because you do, you're offering support in a time that a lot of people don't know what they're doing. They don't know what the step is. So it's, it's nice to know that you're there and you're available and, and that there is an option like this out there. It's, it's it's reassuring. Um, Yeah, that's true. And you know, also with all caregivers are and you know, they may not even be in the same state. You know, so you have long distance caregiving and no one's actually there, you know, with the parent or the family members. So, you know, we try to also fill in that gap of care, you know, um, because people can't just uproot their lives and relocate, you know. So we try to also fill in that gap of care also. Wow. That's a lot. It is a lot. Right. And not too many of us are saying, oh, I'm going to wake up today and be an end of life doula. It's, <laughs> no, no. no, no. <laughs> you see why I think it takes, um, it definitely takes a type of spirit to be able to, um, because it, it does sound like you just need to kind of leave yourself at the door sometimes mm-hmm. and be whatever the person needs you to be um, in that moment and to be that flexible is uh, is amazing it's it's beautiful that you're able to do that for these people so, thanks, thanks. Um, so i do want to talk about your recent um grand prize Yay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, so it's the aarp's boom conference pitch con- competition exactly you you just recently won this for 2019 right and, um such a big deal. Congratulations. Could you tell Thank us a little bit about, um, about your pitch and the whole process? So that's a story within itself, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to this women's business networking um, event. And of course, I'm, you know, we're networking. I'm telling people about the end of life duel. And the lady came to me and she said, well, oh, you should come to, you should pitch your idea. We are doing something for business owners 45 years and older and I'm like you know I, I don't have time I'm trying to start <laughs> you know start my business and so um she said well I'm going to send you the information and I'm like well okay and I looked at the information and one of the requirements is that you have to um, provide a five-page um executive summary um with the financials and everything and um i actually emailed her back i said i can't this is too much it's too time consuming and she's like really do you think so and i'm like yes and so i actually walked away from it i just yes i did not go for it and a couple of the weeks the week that it was due friday something kept saying um like he was saying you have to have a certain spirit Mm -hmm. something was saying um 
apply, go continue to. So I couldn't, I couldn't continue to disobey this um, consciousness that was going on with me. And so I applied the last minute and they gave an extension. So I was able to go back in and re-edit some of the things. I got an email saying that you had advanced to the second round. And we had a, a pitch coach that we met every week for about two or three hours. And she helped us, um, trained us to pitch our, um, our business. And after that, um, you know, the day of the competition, of course, you know, I'm nervous. It's like, oh, I don't want to do this. Why did I get myself into this? And uh, really went up there and um, just kind of, kind of nailed it and just, you know, put it out there and had no idea, you know, that I was going to be the grand prize winner. And so I don't, you, I'm going to have to share the video with you. I mean, right when they called me up, I could barely go up the stage because I was crying. And when, when I get on the stage, you can see, I didn't have makeup on, but you can see teary eyes, I'm sniffling and I was in shock. <laughs> so I'm holding the check up completely in shock. Half of the time I was smiling, half of the time I was staring out. And so it was an awesome milestone for me and a, and a confidence builder and just letting me know, you know what, Val, at the times that you feel like you're stuck in life, that you are on the right path and you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. So, you know, continue to go on that path. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. wait, they didn't tell you ahead of time you found out that day? They, that, oh, oh as far as as far as the the competition yeah. yeah after after and the thing about it is that there was six or seven companies and so you didn't know who the second or the third winner was going to be up because they call a second runner up first right. and so, well, so i'm still sitting at the table with six other businesses right oh. and um yeah the competition was at i think it started at 1 30 they made the announcement at 3.30. So after they announced the second winner, then they said, okay, we're now going to the grand prize winner. And so I'm sitting at the table with all these people and they called my name and I'm like having a hot flash and <laughs> crying at the same time, trying to get up the, you know, the MC had to help me up the stairs. I was just totally like, overwhelmed with the whole thing and and again this is something an opportunity that I would have missed out if I hadn't listened to my true self and my inner calling saying do this and go ahead and apply so that's just a hint for people <laughs> yeah listen exactly 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 can always get in the way but exactly you know so so what was your pitch? Was, um, was it just your business? Was it, well, not just your business, but it is, was it your business that won the pitch? It was my, it was my business. I started out with the story um, that I just told you about, about my mom. Mm -hmm. And then identified a lot of the problems that are happening, um, you know, at the end of life that's um, getting in the way of providing quality of life at the end of life. I talked about caregiver, high turnover, 
you know, and the shortages that uh, we have in the caregiving, uh, professional caregivers, you know, that we go to to help us. You know, we I talked about the shortage there. I also talked about the um, the demand for an increase of 45% of geriatricians mm -hmm. that will be needed in 2025 and no one's going to medical school to no be a geriatrician because the pay is not as well as a primary care physician. And so the shortage is like, I can't remember the numbers right now, but the shortage is like, um, it's almost like a, a one geriatrician will uh, need to take care of 700 patients in order to meet the demand and that's not going to happen no. and so um you know and they are predicting all these changes to take place between 2013 and 2025 mm. then there's also with the the cohort of the baby boomers there's a 4.1 million expectation of deaths that started in 2013 that's gonna not going to taper off into 2055 that's 4.1 million deaths. Wow. That's expected to happen between 2013 and 2055. So who's supporting right. who's supporting that? Who's supporting the, the geriatricians? If there's a shortage, who's taking care of the aging population if there's a shortage of geriatricians? Who's taking care of the aging population if there's a shortage of professional caregivers? Mm -hmm. And then I also talked about Medicare. Um, cost at the end of life is four times higher uh, for people that are um, 85, I believe, and older. Mm -hmm. um, so, so Medicare is paying like $35,000 for people who are at the end of life, yet they're only paying $9,000 for people that are 65 years and older, before 85, that are healthy. So, 35,000 <laughs> is going to end of life and 9,000 is going towards people that are healthy. So wow. that's a big, that's a big gap. So why is that? Right. You know, why is that? And a lot of that is because we're, we're performing uh, heart stents on people that are 85 years old, you know, and, and, and one thing that, is in the description of a end of life doula is not being judgmental. Mm -hmm. And so I can't say, you know, why are you um, doing a open heart surgery on someone that's 84 years old, that's only going to last an additional two or three months. Right. You know, that two or three months is a lot for that person, that's that patient, you know, and for the family member. But how much is the cost? How what's the cost right. of, of performing a stent? You know, right. um, like I said, why why give my mom two medications, powerful medications? That's a cost. Why are you giving her a powerful medication and she's already asleep, and right. you know that she is not going to do dialysis anymore? So why are we even administering medication? You know, um, you know, at that point. So we have, um, you know, unwarranted um, surgeries. We have unwarranted, um, 
medications that's, that may or may not improve the quality of life that's causing healthcare costs to rise mm -hmm. at the end of life without proving, improving the quality of life at the end of life. So I talked about that and then I went into my marketing part and also talked about why I wanted to, um, you know, I did a call to action asking why I want the, um, four to $6,000 and how I would use it for my business. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you see why you won. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, because, well, and two, I don't know if this is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if the person, if the patient is more comfortable in saying, no, I don't want that surgery. I don't want these, like, life extending measures mm -hmm. because I'm comfortable I've already made my decisions I've already mm -hmm. had this conversation with my family then then there's a lot that the patient can do to stop those costs exactly right exactly exactly but you also have the influence of the doctor saying well you know there's one more trial right you know, that we can try or you have, you know, you have the pressure of the family was, well, we're not ready for you to go. So let, let's do this. So even though those are, and that's why you also need a, a strong neutral person there to say, no, this is what this, that's where the advanced care planning comes in. No, this is what he or she said. And this is what we're going to do in spite of what the doctor says. And in spite of what another family member says. We have it written down and this is what we're going to do. So you need a trusted and strong person that has the backbone to be able to stand up against the medical institution and also the family members. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, well, thank you so much. I think that what you're doing is, is so needed and so important and just really inspiring. I'm, I'm very inspired at the moment. And I have two kind of questions to um, wrap up our conversation. And, okay. and the first is, how does someone become an end-of-life doula? Is how, this isn't a traditional career path. I, I think a lot of people don't know that aging in general can be an, a career path. Mm -hmm. but, um, how would you suggest somebody that is interested in this would get into the field? So when I talk to most end-of-life doulas, they feel that it's a calling. Like I said, it's not anything that we just wake up and say, oh, we're going to study for this. Mm -hmm. They feel led to, um, by their spirit, I would say, mm -hmm. to be in this field. Um, because um, we're entering into the sacredness of, of a person. You know, we don't want to trample over that at all. So... In most cases, um, again, we're talking to most end-of-life doulas. They death has kind of always been around in their in their um, psyche, or they've always been easy with talking about it. They've never really shied away from it. Um, and so, I think if you have that longing within you, that's a good guide to. Um, that you should pursue as far as becoming an end-of-life doula. The profession is so new and so emerging um, that there are no real um, certifications that have been standardized right now. Um, 
organizations that are developing training classes for certification. So right now we just have to wait and see what the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization is going to do as far as defining best practices for us. And so we just mentor each other, um, go into hospice facilities and volunteer to get your training there, um, um, mentor or um, develop another relationship with another end of life doula and train under them, you know, and, and see if it's something that you really, you know, you really want to do. And if there's an environment, uh, if that's the environment that you really want to be in. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you for that. That's, that's good to know. Um, and then my second question is for somebody in search of an end of life doula, how would they contact you? And now I, I am going to be putting all of your information uh, down below in the mm -hmm. comment section, but um, where do they find you on your website? Do you have a, a preferred phone number? Yeah, so my phone number, um, well, my website is www.doulabydestiny.com. My phone number is 410 921 excuse me, zero one zero five. That's four one oh nine two one zero one zero five. I'm also on the Anelda Doula directory and that's I N E L D A. So you can um you know get me that way. You you have my social media links. I have a Doula by Destiny social media link and I have Aging Adult Services social media link. So I can be contacted that way. And on my um, website, which is also in the process of being redesigned, but uh, my services are there. And if for any reason they can't get to my services or are having some problems, they can call me on the 410-921-0105 number. And, Hopefully, I'll be able to serve them in the way that they feel honored. Um, I'm <laughs> sure. I mean, just based on this conversation alone, I mean, we've talked before, but um, I, I can definitely, I can see this as your calling. It's uh, all over your face when you're talking about it. And it's amazing to know that there's someone out there like you doing this work um, because it is, it's such a needed aspect to end of life care. And Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed this conversation. I had my little notes here, but I wanted to keep on track. So I hope I didn't take us off too much today. <laughs> you were amazing. You were amazing. So uh, again, I'm going to be sharing your information down below. And um, thank you. Thank you. Have a good day.